Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 121. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we're going to look at 1 John, the first letter of John. So who is this John? Well, he is, of course, an apostle, one of the 12, also the writer of the Gospel of John, also the writer of the Book of Revelation, also, as you might guess, the writer of 2nd and 3rd John, these tiny little letters that follow 1st John. Now, did he actually pen those words that for all the books that we mentioned, or was uh, were his thoughts perhaps written down by a secretary later on, as we've seen be the case in many other of the uh, of the early letters? And the answer is we don't know, but we are pretty confident that whoever wrote the Gospel of John also wrote the first letter of John, um, because of the style of writing and uh, the, his use of contrasts, dark and light, for example, or mentioning the world as opposed to following God, for example. So uh, either way, it was uh, this, this particular letter, 1 John, was probably written after the Gospel of John and would have been written sometime in the latter part of the first century, perhaps 90 to even 100 A.D. Okay, so why was it written? Why did John write it? Well, number one, he wants to make sure, here we are 2,000 years later, we're still dealing with this issue, that Orthodox Christians follow the teachings of the apostles. So it seems that in the early decades of the church, there were skeptics, as there are today. Many of the skeptics said, interestingly enough, that Jesus, they had no problem believing that Jesus was God. Many of them, the Docetists and the Gnostics, had a hard time believing that Jesus was human, okay? So here we are all these centuries later, most people who would believe that the Roman history, etc., that there was a man named Jesus Christ who walked on the earth, but most people, many people don't believe that he was God. So here we are, we are closer to the birth of Christ uh, here, you know, within a hundred years. And it was less of a controversy that Jesus was God than was he really human or did he just look like a human? Okay, so uh, John writes this short letter to refute these people who have who maybe started out in the church and then they left the church either because Christ didn't come back as soon as they thought that he would uh, for his second coming or perhaps they were getting too much grief from uh, from their original Jewish families who had separated from them. Uh, they were skeptics. And again, we've got these docetists who said, well, oh, Jesus wasn't really, uh, a human being. So how does John answer that? Well, he starts right out in chapter one, and he says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we looked on and touched with our hands. Um, 
concerns the word of life, capital W, so that's Jesus, for the life was made visible. We have seen it. And so I want you to, uh, in the first few verses there, underline the words or circle the words heard and seen and touched in verse 1 of chapter 1. So um, John here is saying, look, I've heard Jesus, I've seen him, I have touched him, you know, and we, the apostles, we've all done this. So believe me, he really is or was a human being, okay? And uh, there isn't a great deal of, of new teaching in this short letter. It's just five chapters. He reminds us in verse 7 that the blood of the Son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. Um, that is to say that uh, Christ paid the price for our sin, as we have talked about many times before. So we won't go into that again. Um, verse 8, if we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know, I knew a very good Christian lady. I mean, she was so good. She was at church every time the church was open and all that. But she claimed that she didn't sin. And I didn't confront her with this. But somebody who claims that they don't sin they probably are not doing a thorough examination of conscience. And I would further submit that by saying you don't sin, uh, that in itself is a sin, right? It's a sin of pride, you know, thinking that you are better than, than everyone else, etc. And you're not being truthful about the situation either. So he says, if we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So ask yourself, you know, do an examination of conscience once in a while. And maybe Google the phrase examination of conscience, and there will be a number of, uh, of exercises that you can do. And, uh, you know, where you look at the Ten Commandments, but you look a little deeper than the Ten Commandments. In other words, have I killed anybody? Well, maybe you haven't. But have you killed someone's spirit by a, by a nasty comment to them? Okay, well, you know, you have to think of these things, okay? Verse 9, if we acknowledge our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from every wrongdoing. Again, not new teaching, Um but if we say in verse 10, we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So now, uh, how do you know that you're walking with Christ? Now we're into chapter two. Uh, verse two, in case we didn't get it the first time, John reminds us, Jesus is the expiation for our sins in verse two. He paid the price, right? Not, not for our sins only, but for those of the whole world. And all you got to do is accept that and begin walking with him, right? But how do you know that you know Jesus? Simple. He spells it out in verse 3. You should underline this. The way we may be sure that we know him is to... Say say one prayer, you know, Lord, you're, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, and I'm, I'm uh, you know, good to go forever in heaven. No, it doesn't say that. It says, the way we may be sure that we know him is to what? Keep his commandments. 
If he didn't get it the first time, John repeats himself in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, meaning I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him, right? So just think of your human relationships. Uh, your, your parents, for example, you say, oh yeah, I love my parents, but you disobey them all the time and you're unrepentant about it. And, you know, you kind of uh, throw it in their face that, uh, you you know, if your parents say don't smoke in the house and you purposely go light one up in the living room every time you come over, what kind of relationship would you have with them, right? So uh, keep his commandments. That's how you know um, that you are, uh, that, that you know Jesus. Uh, further explanation is in verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light yet hates his brother is still in the darkness. Okay, so if you say, oh, I love Jesus, but, um, you know, you're, you don't, you don't get along with your fellow man or you, you know, you hate individuals, uh, then do you really know Jesus? Uh, we see Jesus in everyone that we meet, in the sense, uh, look up Matthew chapter 25. You know, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to, eat, to drink, etc., right? Uh, so whoever says he is in the light yet hates his brother is still in the darkness. I'm reminded of a uh, cartoon, Charles Schultz, Peanuts. And Linus, the little boy, he's explaining to Charlie Brown, he says, uh, I love mankind. And then in the next frame, he says, it's people that I can't stand. You know, so he, he likes mankind as a general rule, but he doesn't like individual people, right? So if you love Jesus, you there has to be some fruit about how you are treating your fellow brothers and, and sisters. Um, and what about other types of sins? Sins of the flesh. He addresses that in chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, sensual lust, enticement for the eyes, and a pretentious life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Okay, so he's always contrasting, uh, John is always contrasting love of the world and the things in it with love of God. You know, you can't have it, you can't have it all, right? You, you need to make a choice. As you've heard me say before, everything is a trade-off, right? Um, now, the other interesting thing about 1 John and 2 John, there's only two letters and this uh, first and second John are considered letters. There are only two letters uh, in in the uh, in the Bible where the word antichrist appears. Also, it's prominently featured in the Book of Revelation, but that's not a letter. And those two letters are, you guessed it, first and second John. But in first John, uh, he, he puts a little different spin on the word Antichrist. Let's take a look at that in chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, John writes, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that the Antichrist was coming, so now many Antichrists have appeared. I want you to underline, so now many Antichrists have appeared. Um, Thus we know 
This is the last hour, not literally the last hour. I mean, it's uh, Christ had to come first, right? Now you have to have rebellion to that. And so in that sense of the word, we're still in the last hour. It's not a literal hour, right? Um, verse 19, this is how you know this is, uh, you know, the, the spaghetti is going to hit the fan one day. Verse 19 says, they went out from us, but they were not really of our number. If they had been, they would have remained with us. Okay, in other words, there were people who are part of the church, and then they decided to leave the apostolic teaching and go some other way and say, well, Jesus was God, but he wasn't really a man, or uh, Jesus, you know, they denied him totally or, or whatever. So uh, the truth is, how do you know you have the truth? If you follow apostolic teaching, which is, uh, you know, what the Catholic Church is. We believe in one Catholic apostolic church, right? We say the creed every week at Mass, right? And that is part of the creed. We believe in one Catholic apostolic church. So we follow the teachings of the apostles. We don't go off on some wild tangent reinventing who Jesus is or reinventing what the teachings of the early church are. Um, and he, verse 22, who is the liar? Whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, whoever denies the Father and the Son is the Antichrist. So there's going to be a lot of false teachers. False teachers have already come. There will be false teachers in the future. But anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, you know, is a false teacher, right? Um, now, 14 times in this little five-chapter letter, John uses the phrase, remain you know, I want you to remain in Christ. And we see one of those 14 uh, uses in verse 24 of chapter 2. It says, uh, John says, Let what you heard from the beginning remain in you, um, and then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And uh, I'm not going to repeat all of these uh, 14 times. He talks about remaining in Christ. Another one would be verse 28. So how do you remain in Christ? Well, okay, we've already got one hint. You follow the commandments. You stay to the teachings of the apostles. And then choose any one of those where it says remain, circle it. And then in your margins, write John 6, 56 meaning the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 56. And what does John 6, 56 say? It says, I'll just summarize it for you, but I will still want you to write it in your margins. Again, the idea, how do you remain with Christ? John 6, 56 says, uh, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will remain in me and I in him. So frequent reception of the sacraments is another way to know that to give you the strength you need to remain with Christ, specifically uh, frequent reception of the Eucharist, right? So I don't think it's any accident that John, you know, focuses on this remain in Christ. And one way to do that is to continue to receive the Eucharist. 
And we've talked a lot about the Eucharist. But anyway, that's why I think it's so essential that you write down John 6.56 in there. Okay. Here's some hope for us. In chapter 3, um, we do know, uh, chapter 3, verse 2, we do know that when it is revealed, uh, that is to say, you know, when, when we get to heaven, we shall be like him, like Jesus, for we shall see him as he is. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be divine, but you will be, you know, in God's presence. And wow, is that going to be cool or what? Better than anything you could experience on this earth, you know, better than an ice cream sundae on a hot day. Okay. And uh, so, he says uh, in verse 6 of chapter 3, no one who remains, there's that word again, in him sins. No one who sins has been, has seen him or known him. Uh, well, what does that mean? Does that mean if you, so does that mean if you commit a sin somewhere after you're walking with Christ that you didn't remain with Christ and that you're going to burn in hell? No, that's not what it means. It means you will get rid of the habitual sins because if you're walking with God and you're asking God to deliver you from whatever habit that you have, God will give you the strength to do that. Okay. Doesn't mean you're going to live forever as a human being. You will live forever in, in uh, you know, in eternal life. But um, it, it, it does mean that if you are faithful towards God, he will show you a way out. So it doesn't mean you'll never sin. It means you will depart from a life of sin. He talks about righteousness. Um, he talks about helping your brother in verse 17, and your brother is, of course, all of, all of mankind. If someone who has worldly means sees a brother in need and refuses him compassion, how can the love of God remain in him? And that's verse 17 of chapter 3. Sounds an awful lot like something we just read recently. James chapter 2, right? Um, children, let us love not in word or speech, but in deed or truth. So ask yourself, what kind of deed are you going to um, to do uh, this week uh, for for your fellow man? You know, you're not in this world alone. In other words, it's not a situation of saying, "Well, it's Jesus and me, and the hell with thee." Right? We must bear fruit. We must take care of our brothers and sisters. Why? Because we're all one family. Right? And uh, nothing would please a father more than his children loving and taking care of each other. For one thing, it makes for a little more pleasantness at the dinner table. Okay. And uh, he repeats himself in verse 24 of chapter 3. It says, those who keep his commandments remain in him. Nothing new here, but he's repeating. And he in them. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the Spirit, capital S, that he gave us. And of course, Christ gives us all the Holy Spirit at our baptism, uh, further on with our confirmation, etc. And in a special way, he gave the Spirit to the church. Well, we're out of time uh, for this, so we'll come back next week in chapter 4, but let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, dear Lord, we, we wish to remain with you, 
And so we ask that you show us our brother in need and make us aware of our brother in need and make us want to take care of our brother in need. We trust in you. We believe in you. We will follow apostolic teaching as laid down to the church. We won't deviate. We won't make up our own doctrine as you, uh, as John is warning us uh, about this. We don't want to be antichrist. We believe that you are who you say you are, that you died for our sins, and we thank you so much for that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.